Hello, and welcome to Women and Politics, the podcast. I am Caitlin Maker. I'm Sonia Coffin. And I'm Tessa Spencer. And we are all political science majors at Oklahoma Christian University in Edmond, Oklahoma. We've created this podcast as a class project, but we also wanted to reach college-age students with the hopes of providing a more informational podcast where people can become more well-versed in political issues that might not receive as much mainstream media airtime. Our goal with this podcast is to have open and respectful conversations over current political issues. Uh, We're now going to introduce the hosts. I'm Sonia Coffin from Hobart, Oklahoma. In addition to majoring in political science, I'm also minoring in history. After graduating next month, I'll continue my educational journey at OU Law in August. I consider myself a common sense conservative with a passion for social issues. I'm Tessa Spencer from Aurora, Colorado. I'm also majoring in family science along with political science, and I graduate in May of 2023, making me the youngest of this fantastic trio. Uh, after I graduate, my plan is to continue on to law school, and I consider myself to have more liberal ideologies. I have more progressive views, especially when it comes to social justice issues. And I'm Caitlin Maker. I'm from Sterling, Colorado. Um, I am also a a vocational ministry major in addition to political science, and after I graduate in May, I will continue my educational journey at George Mason um, University Law School in August. I consider myself to be also a conservative, especially when it comes to economic issues. For this podcast, we are going to be spending the next couple of episodes breaking down House Resolution 1 for the People Act. And for this episode, we are going to do a brief overview of the bill, and then we're kind of going to talk about some of the pros and cons that we see in the bill as a whole. So HR1 aims to expand Americans' access to the ballot box, reduce the influence of big money in politics, strengthen ethics rules for public servants, and implement other anti-corruption major measures for the purpose of fortifying our democracy and for other purposes. So that is what the summary of the bill is, and we will be breaking down what each of those things mean over the next few episodes. Um, now we're going to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of the bill as a whole. And so, Tessa, why don't you start us off and tell us kind of what you think about the bill. Yeah, so I think this bill overall has many positive aspects, such as promoting same-day voter registration, mail-in voting, and other parts that allow more of the American population the ability to vote. Uh, This bill helps to address many important voting issues, but I will say that this bill might have covered too many issues at once. Tessa is definitely right in saying that this bill covers too many issues at once. Uh, With post-election mail-in voting, ballot harvesting, voter ID bans, and multiple other additions, America's voting system will be transformed into something much different than what was intended by the Founding Fathers. The United States voting system is best left to the states. Um, To kind of respond to what you talked about with mail-in voting and then this bill implementing... um, post-election mail-in voting as our liberal at the table, why do you think that that would be a good thing to do, to have post-election mail-in voting? Uh, So for me, uh, I'm from Colorado, and Colorado's election system has had mail-in voting for as long as I can remember, and every registered voter gets a mail-in ballot, 
and I think that having all registered voters get mail-in ballots helps to promote more of those registered voters to actually vote in the election and make sure that their voice is heard in these very critical elections. Yeah, I do agree that we need to have more access to the ballots, but I'm not sure that having people mail in their ballots after the election is probably a great idea because then we won't know the night of the election. So if we, I think that is an issue that we'll take up later, but probably should not be included in this bill just because it will draw out elections a lot longer. But um, I do agree too that this bill is really large and it would probably be better if it was broken down into smaller, more manageable sized bills. Um, and like Sonia said, it would be better if it was left to the states. The Founding Fathers did intend for voting to take place at the state level, um, and H.R. 1 would infringe upon some of those states' rights. Um, and I do think that if it was left to the state level as well, there would be a lot less room for error because the states would be dealing with a much, pop a much smaller population size rather than just the federal government having to deal with every single voter in America. So I think it would be better if it was left to the states rather than the federal government. Um, this bill also talks a lot about democracy and preserving democratic traditions. What are some of your thoughts on this, Sonia? Uh, Democrat leaders consistently bring up the word democracy when talking about H.R. 1, but some scholars say this bill leans more toward despotism. A 791-page bill that takes away powers from the states and adds powers onto the national level is a clear example of a single entity ruling with absolute power. Growing up in a small town in southwest Oklahoma, I saw that my state had much different election needs than a person in New York City would have. It's unfair for a group of elected officials to be dictating election systems that should be decided by each individual state. Yeah. Um, to add to this, like we were talking about earlier, um, and the intent of the Founding Fathers, as you will tell throughout the uh, duration of this podcast, I will refer to a lot about the Founding Fathers. I think they're pretty smart guys. I don't know if you guys disagree with that. But um, they actually had this belief of a democratic republic rooted in the teachings of Aristotle. He claimed that a pure democracy was the bad form of many rulers, and so the Founding Fathers' idea to have a democratic republic where the people would elect officials that would represent rather than just this pure majority mob rule would be better. And I think that H.R. 1 has a really flippant use of the term democracy. They don't really ever define it, and it's just kind of thrown out there. And it might be kind of silly to say that we need to define the term democracy, but I think that we have half of the country operating under the term democracy in the sense of a democratic republic and then we have another half of the country operating under democracy meaning pure democracy majority rule and so i think that they really need to specify what they mean by democracy rather than using this it's almost an abstract term in the bill which i think can cause a lot of problems because we don't really know where they're going with this um and so i think that we need to um, kind of define that term so that we can hold to the democratic republic ideals of stopping the tyranny of the majority and protecting the rights of the minority. Well, I'm kind of the odd man out here in this podcast, so I take kind of an opposite 
view of what both Caitlin and Sonny had to say about this bill, and I think that the measures taken in HR1 HR1 positively help America become more of a democracy where the elected officials are representative of the American people and their ideals. Uh, That's like one of the most important things to me is I want my elected officials actually representing what America looks like. Um, And as pointed out by Sonia and Caitlin, the founding fathers did imagine a democratic republic rather than a true democracy. I'm not here to argue that that's not what they imagined. But I am, I do think it's true that this parts of this bill push the government closer to a true democracy. But where I differ from my fellow hosts here is that I believe that that push to a more true democracy is a good thing and a positive of this bill. And I think that this is especially true when dealing with issues of voting and electing the officials that run this country. Uh, I also think that this bill helps to push our voting system to be more uniformed, allowing for quicker and more accurate election results, avoiding the issues we saw in states like Nevada and Alaska, where it was taking days on end to get election results and us not knowing the president of the United States until over a week after the election actually occurred. So for me, this bill has a lot of positives, which is kind of different than what my other hosts say. So kind of like pushing back against some of that is like, why do you think it would be better to have majority rule, pure majority rule with a true democracy rather than allowing for the voice of the minority to be heard as well? Well, I don't think that I don't want the voice of the minority not to be heard. Obviously, it's for me, I think this bill just helps to get more people actually voting in the elections, which in my view is helping more of those minority voices that aren't always heard be heard. So uh, I don't really think that what I'm trying, what the positives I take out of this bill are only for the majority. Yeah, that's very good. I guess I differ in the sense that I think that we shouldn't just allow everybody to vote. I think that there has to be a want to vote Like you should, it's not just this inherent right that we have, but it's a civil duty that you have to take part in and be an informed voter. So I think that's where I kind of differ in that is, I don't think everybody should just get a ballot. You should actually, there should be almost a process that you should have a desire to go and vote rather than making it, oh, I have a ballot. I'm just going to, you know, check it off. What I'm more fearful of in that front is people that are not the voter that the ballot is intended for ending up with the ballot and sending it in. That can be a common occurrence when we're sending ballots to every single voter in the state or in the nation in this case. So that is not the correct method here. I think too when you have it at the federal level it'd be so much harder to keep track of I'm not sure the exact number of registered voters but I mean, it's a pretty large amount of voters that they would have to keep track of addresses and if they are registered and ages. And I think that points back to the argument as to why it should be at the state level, too, because you would be dealing with a fraction of the population size. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get there's I think that this election cycle brought out a lot of like election fraud and or issues with election fraud. And a lot of people were fearful of that. But I think that actual election fraud that has been like confirmed is so small in comparison to the actual system like where I'm from in Colorado we've been using mail-in ballots for years and we have not had issues that are supposedly being seen with election fraud so that's why I think that like the mail-in ballots and getting everybody 
who's registered to vote a ballot is a good way. I think part of it, though, because I'm from Colorado, too, but it's sent throughout the local level. Our ballots are sent to us through the local level and by counties, and it's not just through the federal system. So they're, even within our state, it's still ran at the local level, per se, rather than the federal level. And so I think that it needs to be kept that way. And if a state feels that a mail-in ballot is better for them, then by all means, mail-in voting, if that's what the people want. But I feel like half of the American population doesn't want mail-in voting, and they're not listening to that in Washington, D.C. Oklahoma also does mail-in voting, but what makes our absentee voting so secure is that you have to notarize your ballot, or uh, during COVID you could also send in a photo ID, a scanned photo ID. Does So does Colorado do something similar to that, where you have to have a verification of your ballot? No, it's just a signature. And so I think that can lead to problems there needs to be, especially if they're going to do it, if this bill passes and it is on the federal level, there has to be some sort of identification that the person signing it is the person doing it right and like you said earlier i i don't really see that in the bill there's not any set standards of voter id or notarizing the ballot or anything like that that secures your ballot and so i think that needs to be taken up in this bill yeah so i don't disagree with what Sonia and Galen are saying, I think that making sure that the person that is voting in said mail ballot is the person voting is extremely important because obviously I don't want the integrity of the American election to not be uh, upheld. So I would agree with you guys on that front that there should be, make sure that there's uh, ways to know that the person voting is the correct person. And I think if that I mean, that's not addressed in HR 1, but if that was also something that could be addressed on a federal level to make that uniform, though, and if Oklahoma has this way that is so, like, solid and stuff and making that into implemented over all of America that's doing mail-in voting, then by all means that is extremely helpful to creating safe and secure elections. In Oklahoma, do you have to request a ballot? Yes, uh, you have to request an absentee ballot for each individual election, so... I think that if they would do something like that, too, I know that you talked about they would send a ballot to every registered voter. I feel like, though, if you did mail-in voting but you had to request it, it would be kind of a happy medium between the two. Right. Because you would still have to show that you want to vote and it's not just you're just getting mailed this. And it would also, I think, stop some of the problems of ballots being sent to people who they're not supposed to be sent to as well. So I feel like if there was some sort of compromise, it would be a lot easier to get bipartisan support for that. But I feel like it's just so extreme on both ends that neither one wants to come to the middle right now either. Right. No, I I agree that it's very, like, left is very left, right is very right. Very um, polarized. Very polarized. I do kind of want to push back, though, on the idea of, like, just doing people that request it because I think that one positive of giving everybody a ballot that's registered a ballot is it just for me I like that it promotes the likelihood of more people voting because they're automatically sent a ballot and they don't just sit there and think and be like oh did I remember to register did I you know I just think it gets more people 
the ability to vote, and that is something that's important to me with, like, all elections, is I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to vote, which I think is where me and Caitlin (laughs) tend to differ, is I'm more, I want, like, more people to be able to vote and make sure that who we're electing is representative of more people, but... I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. As a more moderate, I do want an influx in voter participation, making voting easier. But I also want those easier voting methods to be secure. So that's yeah. what I just keep coming back to is the security of this. Yeah. yeah. I definitely agree uh, with that. Just making some way to promote more voter participation, but with safe and secure elections. And I think mm-hmm. that means on your comment. Agree with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I agree that it needs to be safe and secure. I just differ in the sense that I think that you should have to... It shouldn't just be handed to you to be able to vote. Like, I think voting is... I take a lot of pride in being able to fill my ballot out, and I want other people to feel that same way and be like, I am fulfilling my American duty rather than, oh, it's just another piece of mail I got, and I'm just going to, you know... Like, there has to be a sense of almost like pride, and I get to vote in this. Which I don't feel like will happen if it's just mailed to you. I don't care as much about pride as I do about just actually knowing the candidates and just like filling out a random bubble because there's yeah. going to be so many uninformed voters if every single yeah. voter is getting a ballot. That's definitely a concern too. I feel like there's lots of people that still don't, they still vote and they're not very informed either. So I think that would just multiply the problem of uninformed voters and people not, people only getting their uh, news off of Twitter headlines rather than actually going to a candidate's website and seeing where they stand on issues. Mm-hmm. So if they were able to include something in the bill too that maybe even gave information about candidates, that might be better too because then they would be able to read what they stand for and they would have the option to be more educated when it comes to voting for their representatives. And the hard part with that is it becomes so partisan so yeah. fast. It's so hard to stay just yeah. neutral. Well, that kind of concludes our discussion for today over just the the basic pros and cons of the bill. So next time we have the podcast, we will be discussing some more of the more nitty-gritty aspects of the bill. We'll touch on in the next few episodes federal money to campaigns, lowering the voting age to 16, automatic voter registration, um, early voting, and voting by mail. So we'll talk a little bit more about those in the coming episodes. But do either one of you have any final thoughts over this? Final thought, final piece I want to just put out there is that, in my view, is that HR1 is the way or a step in the right direction to solving a lot of the election issues that we saw in 2020 or in previous elections. Mm -hmm. I think that this bill has a lot of good in it and a lot of good intentions and positive things, but obviously no bill is perfect. So I think that there are things that are wrong with it or things that shouldn't have been included, stuff like that. But I think in general, this is a step in the right direction for American election systems. Mm, I agree with Tessa. The United States does need some type of election reform. We're all in the same boat there. But a federalized system is not the answer here. My big takeaway with HR1 is that elections are best controlled on the state level. But I'm still excited to talk about the sections of the resolution in more detail in the next episode. Yeah, 
I, I'm with Sonia on this one. I think it needs to be done at the state level. Um, I probably have more issues with the bill than my two other hoes, but um, I am excited to talk about these, and um, we're excited to see you all next time. And follow our Instagram, which is... At women.and.politics. Thank you, guys. Have, Have a, a good day. week. Thanks, everyone.